ADB companies proudly invest in a culture of safety and their people by constructing a world-class, rigorous training facility to allow team members to gain hands-on tower experience before ever stepping foot on a customer site. Their craftspeople do dangerous work every single day, and they do it safely. They are dedicated to getting their people home safely to their families every single night. You can learn more about ADB's turnkey end-to-end solutions for communication, for utility, and for technology industries by visiting their website, KeeleyCompanies.com. Welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. John is the number one national best-selling author of the book, On Fire. He's a world-class inspirational speaker, and he's the host of the Live Inspired Podcast. John interviews extraordinary individuals on their life story so that you can wake up from accidental living and more fully live your life story. Here's your host, John O'Leary. Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. A couple questions for you as we prepare to step into this week's episode. Uh, One that I'm telling you on the front side you're going to love. Here's the first question. How do you become the best version of yourself? How do you move forward when it seems that life keeps pushing you back? How do you elevate not only your life, but also the lives of those you're called to serve or work with or love or raise or lead well? Well, today we'll be discussing these questions and many more with our guest and my friend. His name is Mike Kai. Mike is a pastor. He's a leadership expert. He's a podcast host. From humble beginnings and challenging circumstances, Mike has built a simply remarkable life. And during this conversation, he's going to remind us that we can build a remarkable life along our journey as well. Today's conversation will help you practice excellence, not perfection, help you move forward with intention, and help you build sustainable change in order to leave a lasting legacy. Join me right now for real-life examples and practical principles that will inspire you to grow in any season of life you find yourself today and to be reminded that the very best of your days and our collective days remain in front of us. So grab your favorite Live Inspired journal. Grab your favorite beverage of choice. Get ready to join Mike Kai, who's in paradise right now, and John O'Leary as we remind you that in spite of the headwind and challenges, the best of your days remain in front of you. So, Mike, Kai, without further ado, my friend, welcome to Live Inspired with John O'Leary. Thank you, John. It's a pleasure and an honor to be with you and your audience. Absolutely thankful to be with you and to meet you in person. I can't wait to we physically meet one another. I know, I know right now over uh, Zoom we get to see one another, but thank you so much for having me. Well, I'm expecting it. And, and the most beautiful place that I've ever been in the entire world, I've been three different times, and it is your backyard. My very first time was my honeymoon with my wife, Beth. The second time was for work with one of our clients named Arbon. And then the mm-hmm. third time was just wow. this past summer when I had an opportunity to do some work over in Maui and brought along not only my girlfriend, my wife, but also our four kids. So you live, my friend, in paradise. If we bumped into each other on the beach watching the sunrise or set, and I said, hey, uh, Mike, I'm John. And I told you a little bit about myself. And then I said, Mike, tell me about you. What, what do you do? How would wow. you respond to that? 
I tell them, you know, I'm a pastor and, 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 and wait for the pause and to see if they got encouraged or they got a, a little bit uh, distance between us. And I would just let my heart speak. I would just tell them that I, I, get, to, I get to help people's life. I do what you do. I like to inspire people. Mike, in, in reading your story, there are some folks who are predestined for ministry, parents and grandparents and Bible school and all this other stuff. And you see it in their DNA. And then there are guys who come across upon it almost accidentally, but clearly God's hand is all over it. You're more the latter story, and it's a beautiful story. And that's the one I'm looking forward to sharing. But before we talk about your transformational moment and early part of your life, going back even a little bit farther, talk about your parents. It seems like John had a mighty impact in your life. So would you talk about growing up the son of John? Thank you for asking that. You know, I love my dad so much, and I'm thankful that he's still on this earth and on this planet. My dad was amazing. He still is. Uh, he was my biggest encourager. He was a great baseball coach, great athlete, got, got drafted by the Milwaukee Braves at the time before they became the Atlanta Braves and turned that down because he wanted to marry my mom. Uh, I'm the second child out of four and I'm grateful. And, you know, my dad had an entrepreneurial spirit, but he was also a police officer. So he was always starting things. He would start the very first macadamia nut festival. So my dad was doing things that, that most people in my town of 2000 probably weren't even dreaming about. So when you're talking about horse races, you'd have a, a, a horse race, you'd have a rodeo, you'd have a golf tournament with a macadamia nut dipped in latex. And that's the only ball. That was the ball. And you could only carry three clubs. There was a beauty pageant. There was a bake-off. There was a parade. My dad was busy with the JCs, with the Lions Club. He was helping young men at the in his 20s and in his 30s. Uh, my dad made a very bold move when he saw the ceiling um, of his career and didn't think he would have he would break through. He was made a very good offer by the the Adido Minical family that owned Hawaiian Holiday Macadamia Nut Company back in the, those days. They were owned by Ghirardelli Chocolate and by Golden Grain. They asked him to come on board and be the head of their security. He went mm. from the head of security to becoming personnel and then the head of sales. So I watched my dad pivot left and right before the word pivot was only meant for basketball. And I saw him change, reinvent himself. And all the while keeping a really gentle Hawaiian spirit about him that has marked all of his children to this day. I think my personality, I've, time, I've got a type A Enneagram 8, I think, but there's a lot of, a lot of three in me. Um, and I think it comes from my dad. Wow. What a celebration of his life, man. I, I appreciate that. And and he could never have done it by himself. He had a partner in crime. Talk about your mother. My mom is a beautiful half Filipino, half Italian woman that grew up in a plantation town uh, in Hawaii of sugar plantation. Beautiful Marine meets beautiful uh, Filipino nurse. And, um, and my mom was born. And so my mom, she did not have the most beautiful childhood. It was, it was difficult growing up in rural Hawaii, being half and half. She was loved by her family. But when she grew up and got older and, and met my dad and fell in love at St. Joseph's High School in Hilo, Hawaii, they married in 1963, uh, 64, and, um, and they had these beautiful kids. My mom was the glue. She was strong, resilient, tough, loving. Um, what a great combination. And to this day, she's my biggest cheerleader along with my dad. My mom taught me things like how to bake. Um, she taught me how to cook. She taught me how to stretch a dollar. We would get milk and she would take the powdered milk and water and she would stretch that milk because our kids are growing so quick. And uh, that's how we stretched it. We stretched milk with powdered milk and regular milk. <laughs> my mom was very thrifty, got the biggest heart. My mom and dad, they're amazing. 
you know, talk about growing up in Hawaii. I think most of us who've been there, lucky enough to watch the waves wrestle onto the shore, it's just stunning. But I would imagine it's a very different experience when you live there, not necessarily better or worse, just wildly different than a tourist type experience. What's it like growing up in Hawaii? I think I, I grew up in the, in the best small town that I could have been brought up in. My upbringing in Hawaii is, it, it's hard work. In order to survive in Hawaii, you def, definitely need to make a lot of money or you're gonna have to work two jobs. Thankfully in the seventies, when I grew up in the eighties, um, in the early eighties, my mom and dad were able to, to stretch it. They were able to make it work. It, it, it's beautiful. The people here are beautiful. There's a respect for elders. There is um, honor for people, but there's also this side of, there's a warrior mentality that a lot of people grow up with. Um, it's part of our DNA. It's part of who Hawaii was uh, before we were discovered uh, by Captain Cook. It's beautiful, but they're underlying that is a little bit of tension of trying to make it work. I mean, it's paradise. It's beautiful. We go to the beach and try to forget a lot of things and just enjoy God's creation. But there's a lot of hard work behind that in order to make your family become successful. Who you are today and who you were back then, also super involved with sports. But you, you yeah. also had a vision of becoming part of the military. What, what was it about service to nation? Oh, gosh. What, what were you after there? Well, I was after two things, John. Uh, first, I wanted to be an NBA basketball player. So, But because I was only six feet tall by the time I was 19, that was not going to happen. So I had posters of Dr. J, Larry Bird, Marcus Johnson, Magic Johnson all over my room. But I also had these planes that I would hang from the ceilings, and they were fighter jets my junior year. Ellison Onizuka, the only astronaut to come out of Hawaii, was doing a tour on Hawaii just to motivate young people like us. And when I saw him, this is before Top Gun, so I was watching him and I thought, I want to be an astronaut. So if I want to be an astronaut the way Ellison was, I either have to go to the service academy with the Air Force or ROTC. So I didn't get accepted into the Air Force Academy. So I went to the University of Hawaii through ROTC, not a scholarship, but I, I, I joined the ROTC program. And that was my goal. My goal was to be a fighter pilot, and I was on my way by my sophomore year, and, and things changed. Perfect pivot. Things did change. And this right. is part of every one of our stories. Things change. So let, let's talk about the change, and then the, then what? what? What changed? Okay. You were on track. Everything's moving forward. Then what happened, Mike? Uh, small town boy meets big city girl. That's what happened. I fell in love. When I had met my girlfriend for the first time, I fell head over heels in love. There were no no guardrails, no restraints. I go to the big city. I'm a little lost. My town of 2000, my dormitory has 2000. The values that I was raised with and um, things that were ingrained into me, I, 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 I shed that in college. As a result of that, of meeting this girl and falling in love, you have two people who have no God in their life. And so you're, you're only dealing with your conscience. I didn't have that foundation that was biblical to maybe at least uphold me during a, a very difficult time for a lot of people when they go to college. What happened was I became a young father. And so when I found out that I was going to become a father, the only thing I could do was quit school. And I went straight to work at a pizza place up in a shell service, gas service station. So I pumped gas during day and I was doing pizza at night. And I was looking at myself going, here I was heading for the Air Force. And now all of my dreams are gone. Where's my purpose? I, even, I wasn't even asking those questions, but I was purposeless. And I was frustrated, but I knew that I had to, this was my responsibility. In Hawaii, we call it a kuleana. This was my kuleana. And I needed to respond to that. And I was, but I just found ourselves in a very difficult spot. And within about two years of this purposeless kind of life, I became, well, eventually I became a single father. And I'm just curious about that because it's so rare that you hear this side of the story. Usually it's a single mother. 
And here yeah. you are as a young man, 21 years old, pumping gas, delivering pizzas, looking back at a dream that seems to have evaporated, wondering what kind of life this will become going forward. Talk about just what, what led to that, Mike. How, how did you become uh, a single father? At the end of the day, you have two people who are doing the best they can with the circumstances that they have. And it gets me a little emotional because I, I talk about this a lot, but don't always get emotional about it. But when I think about it, it was it was a difficult time for both of us, especially for me and for her. Um, she had her own set of problems and challenges that I, I didn't know about until years later. I respect that to a degree, but I knew that when she did not want to come home anymore and she left me with Courtney and now Courtney is two years old, my daughter, I was lonely. I was going through a, a moment of depression that there was no title for that back in 1987 and nobody would get help for that back then. I didn't know I needed help. So my daughter is without her mother. I'm trying to prop her up and people are trying to prop me up. I'm, I'm crying at night. She's patting me on the back, John, and she's comforting me because I comfort her. So now she's comforting me. So it was surprising to everybody, but of course, here I am, I've got to make a living. So by then I'm working at a restaurant and I'm working, I got picked up by American airlines to work on the ramp. And my life is moving a little bit forward. And my friends keep telling me and they're worried about me because there's underlying anger now. There is loneliness. I'm seriously homicidal. I wanted to hurt somebody. And I'm also suicidal and I wanted to hurt myself. And it was in that moment that what stopped me from, what stopped me from following through on that was number one, that I couldn't leave Courtney. I mean, I wanted the easy way out. So I thought that would be the easy way out. And I, I would unburden everybody. If anybody's thinking about that, you're not gonna unburden anybody. You're actually gonna add more burden for the rest of your life. And there is hope. But for me at that moment, I, I visualized my funeral, John. Mm. And I thought to myself, I can't do that to my brothers and my sister, my mom and my dad, um, the people that love me and to Courtney, I can't do that. And so my friends would, you got to come to church with me. I said, I don't want to go to church. I said, I like God, but I don't, I don't like church. My mom said, you should go to church. I said, mom, I don't want to go to church. My, my friend Ken, Mike, you got to go to church. I don't want to go to church. My friend Brandon, you got to go to church. And finally, they were, they were absolutely bugging me to the point where I said, all right, I'll get you off my back. I'll go one time. It was at that day, John, that I gave my life to Jesus and I walked out. Something powerful just happened. Things would change between us. I was becoming a better man and I wanted to prove, prove that I waited for three years. Yeah. Uh, I kept my vows for three years, wore my ring for three years. And finally the writing was on the wall, but the miracle was that God changed me, not just in an instant. You, you lost so much in, over those years. And yet you also gained this resiliency and this reliance on God mm. and this fond understanding of truly what matters and what doesn't matter. Yeah. It also, slows you down. It, it, you leave behind some of your childish ways, become far more mature. Could you talk about some of the things you were doing intentionally? Because I, I think a lot of us, whether it's the pandemic or job displacement yeah. or the political divisiveness that we all experience right now or whatever is going on in our life, we're also wondering how can we grow during this season? You had a wildly windy, challenging season. And yet looking back on it, it was probably your most prosperous growth season. What, what was. that allowed you to really thrive during that time? Because I had lost my purpose and I, I, I couldn't go back to school. I tried one semester and took two classes and it was just too difficult to do when I had to put food on the table and pay for babysitting. So my friends started telling me, hey, join this multi-level marketing company. Come join us. Come to this meeting. And, and I, I, I got in. And it was during that time of discovering my relationship with Christ, of 
finding some self-worth through that group. And of course, the promise was, was the two to five year dream that I was chasing because that's what I needed. I needed a purpose. But it was the support system that I had, which had to do with cassette tapes and books and attending functions. Those things marked my life from the age of 21 to 25. It was during that time I was reading books like Think and Grow Rich. I was reading books like Tough Times Never Last, but Tough People Do. I was reading Og Mandino's The Greatest Salesman in the World, really, which really had nothing to do with sales. I was reading um, The Richest Man in Babylon. I was reading books that was helping me get my, my finances in order, was pouring dreams into me. I was reading Dr. Robert Schuler's books. And all of these books, I had no idea that was actually preparing me for an entrepreneurial life and for the ministry that I lead today. I had no idea. I actually read more than I ever read in my life during that season of my life. I was self-taught. I was not self-made, but I was self-taught. The greatest season of growth in my life. And I never want to lose that. You mentioned leading into that season that it was also one before the conversion of isolation, of depression, of anxiety, of anger, of homicidal and suicidal thoughts. I mean, right. that's a weighty sentence. And although few of our listeners could identify with every one of those terms right now in their life. Every one of our listeners could identify with at least one of them. So for those of us in that place right now, like just give us some encouragement on how we can believe that mm -hmm. there is indeed a lot at the end of the tunnel, that it is not a coming train, that there is reason for hope and a reason for conviction that better days are in front of us. Well, John, you know all about this, what it's like to feel like your life is about to end and when I was there at that point, um, I, I knew I would get out of it because um, I had enough family and friends around me that loved me. Um, when you talk about the depression, the anxiety, you talk about homicidal, suicidal, and all of those different things, the pain turned to anger, the jealousy, the hearing of stories that were difficult in a, in a pre-social media day. I needed God to heal me at my core. I was the kind of guy that if like, a, let's go back to that warrior mentality in Hawaii. I was that kind of guy, if, if we, you looked at me the wrong way, even in traffic at the stoplight, we would fight. And I want to tell everybody this, that, that it's not the end. It's not the end. God is there. And, and don't lose hope and cry out to him, call out to him. He hears you and, um, and he will help. I promise you, because he helped me. It is a transformational, wild story. It's so beautiful. And it eventually leads you not only back toward God, back toward church, back to the front row and back to a beautiful youth minister named Lisa. Outside of her physical beauty, what, what was it that you really were attracted to in her? John, you know, you and I are blessed. You have four children. I have three. Um, we have uh, two more since we got married. And, you know, what attracted me to her was there was a regalness about her. There was something regal about her. And I thought I was damaged goods because I was believing it, that no one will have you. And even though I didn't want to believe it. And when I prayed again, I said, God, if I can ever get married again, and I want to get married again, it's been three years. I waited one more year just so I could get healing. At the end of that year, I said, Lord, if I can get married again. And I said, Lord, can she be five foot seven? Can she be gorgeous Chinese, gorgeous Chinese? And can she love Jesus more than me? So that was my prayer. She has to love Jesus more than me because if she does, we'll make it through anything. We can make it through anything. And so I didn't go to church with a ruler and trying to see how tall anybody <laughs> was. And I didn't creep at church. I didn't go, you know, I didn't want to be that guy creeping at church. 
I just said, I said, Lord, you're gonna have to make her plain and visible to me that I'm gonna have to undeniably that she's the one. And I went to a young adults Christmas event back then. And I felt like an old man, John, an old man going to a, a young people's event at the age of 25. And I walk into that event and there she was, saw her and she saw me. And the way that I could prove that it, she really was the one was that she called me the next day because she had the church roster. I said, baby, you, you, you abused your privileges with that phone list, but I'm sure glad you did. And we dated for about, about a year. And then we got married in four months because I, I can't let her go. She is the one. And we've been married for um, 27 years. September, we celebrate 28 years. And it's been the best 28 years of my life. It, again, another beautiful story. You had marriage and relationship and work relationships, and you, you pick anything outside of doing it all by yourself. It's almost impossible. It's really right. hard to do it well. And it's really hard to say it's, it's been the best 27, 28 years of my life. Give me a couple ideas for those who are in partnership right now, in relationship right now, in marriages right now, that you look back on and you realize, John, over three decades, I think a couple things we've done really well as a couple are these things. What have you guys done well? We've learned how to forgive quickly. I think that's the number one thing. We ask for forgiveness. When we hurt intentionally or unintentionally, when that moment comes, um, we ask for forgiveness. And that's what I teach my, my daughters. We ask for forgiveness. We don't just say, I'm sorry. Because when you ask for forgiveness, you own it. And then we forgive freely. We make restitution or we make up faster. We mm. never let the sun go down on our anger. It's rare that it, it's a rare night that Lisa's facing one wall and I'm facing the other. It's a very rare night because life is too short. I, I, I don't have, we don't have time to hold a grudge for the next day. No, no time for that. There's no time for underlying things. We've gone to counseling before, maybe twice. Being a blended family brought up a lot of issues in the very beginning, the first seven years. That was so difficult to have a, a blended family. There are times I thought that the enemy, our adversary, the devil would roll a a grenade into the middle of the house and I had to do triage. Somebody has to put me together, but I've got to put Lisa together. I've got to put Courtney together because that first seven years was difficult, but it was, it, it's a lot of forgiving and a lot of um, asking for forgiveness. And then the second thing I think is we fight for unity in our marriage, fight for unity. We may not agree, um, but we fight for unity. And so those, I think the two biggest things. And of course, then after that, loving each other, dating one another, and even when the kids, like when the kids were little and we couldn't go out back in the blockbuster days, John, our date nights was blockbuster and pizza hut. And I'd have it delivered to the house. I go pick it up. I go pick up the, and we would stay in our room and we watch a blockbuster movie because we didn't have enough money to go out at night. And we didn't want to pay the babysitter and we didn't want to leave our kids with sitters all the time. And so that's what we did. We, we improvised and made that a priority in our life. Forgave quickly and unified. We kept our common ground together. Sometimes yeah. going by Blockbuster and picking up those 99 cent rentals. That's a, it's a great idea. I want to talk briefly though, you know, you've had a mm -hmm. wild journey forward from that marriage mm -hmm. through your ministry, started your own church, planted a couple of others, have continued to expand your impact, not only in the church, but also outside the church. And then most recently you've just come up with your third book. That just doesn't happen. Now I'm not mm -hmm. just saying that title. That is actually the title of this book. That just doesn't happen. I want you to hear uh, what one of your friends described this as. Mike Kai wants us to build like Solomon and see like Sheba so we can finish better. That was how mm. one of your friends described the work that you've done in this book. Mike Kai wants us to build like Solomon and see like Sheba so we can finish better. 
So Mikai, let's break those two characters out briefly. Who is Solomon? For those, you know, some of our listeners can immediately quote back scripture to you. Others have never heard the right. name. Who is yeah. Solomon? Why does he matter? Well, Solomon matters because he was uh, Israel's one of Israel's great kings, I mean, and and he had the wisdom that no other man would ever have on the planet, other than Jesus. His wisdom was so incredible. As a matter of fact, Solomon built um, the, the most beautiful temple and palace. That emissaries and leaders from all over the Middle East would come and sit at his feet to pick his brain, but also to see what he built. That would take about twenty years for him to build that. Uh, he had to curate um, the kind of people that would work around him. He needed to make sure that everything was run with excellence. That's who Solomon was. The queen of Sheba hears of his fame. Uh, for those of you looking for a scripture reference, it's first Kings chapter 10. And she comes from her own level of opulence and extravagance, but hears about the wisdom of Solomon. So comes to test him, but also to bring gifts. And she brings a lot of spices into the kingdom, more than Israel had ever seen up until that point. So when she finally gets there, it would take a three month journey when I read those six or seven verses of all of her comments about everything that she saw about the kingdom, all she saw about the architecture and the servants, when I break that thing down, I said to myself, this is a site visit of incredible proportions. This is like somebody going to maybe Tesla and getting an opportunity to tour the plant and sit down and have lunch with Elon Musk, right? And, but only greater. And when she saw what she saw, that three-month journey coming back, she, I guarantee you that in that journey coming home, that she must have broke down everything that she saw and thought about how do I transfer this into my cultural context, into my kingdom to make the kingdom of Sheba as good as the kingdom of Israel under King Solomon. So to build like Solomon means that it takes time. It takes 20 years to build like Solomon, 20 years by the time she got there. Because David came from a nomadic lifestyle he settled down in his palace and, you know, took a while for him to make his transition from a warrior to a king. And now he raises up Solomon out of all of his sons. God's hand is on Solomon, gives him the most incredible wisdom that any ruler would ever have. But that didn't just happen either. That kingdom that he built, that wasn't pixie dust. That was hard work. So he had to work at that. So you've got to build like Solomon. When you see like Sheba, you have to see like the queen. You have to have her eyes. You have to pick things apart and see how that works and then bring it into your own context, as I said earlier. But then Solomon's downfall, that didn't just happen either. That didn't happen overnight. Solomon actually, under his rulership, his son actually split the kingdom in two, and Israel never recovered since then, never recovered as a nation. It was, it was, it was a divided nation. And so when I look at that, to build an organization, a business, a church, an incredible podcast and ministry that you've built, that doesn't just happen. And the way I see it is that excellence accelerates everything. So excellence to me, which is the premise of the book, is an accelerator. It'll get you there faster, right? So I think I carried myself with excellence as a, in my 20s because I, all that I was learning and all that I was reading. Excellence is also an elevator. It'll get you there higher. It'll get you higher than you could ever go. It's a separator. It'll differentiate you from everybody else. And I also think for people who are in business, it's an income generator. Excellence is an income generator. It'll help bring in more resources. So when I look at what she saw, yeah, it didn't just happen. How he felt, uh, that didn't just happen. So how do we build better? And that's how I, I talk about that in the book and how do we build better so we can finish better? It's beautifully done. And, and excellence is 
it's the DNA of the book. It's on every page. But there, there's a quote here that I underlined that I, I wanted to read out and then have you okay. share with me what it means. And, and then we'll okay. wrap up a few more thoughts. Okay. <clears throat> Sometimes excellence gets a bad rap because people think that it's just another word for perfection, but it's not. We need to offer another view. Excellence is essentially doing the very best you can with what you've been given. So it's not so much about money or the resources you may have, but about doing the very best that you can with what you currently have. Mm -hmm. Talk about because excellence and perfection do seem to butt up against each other, but you're making an argument here that it's, it's not true. No, it's not. Thank you. Thank you for pointing that out. When I look at, uh, I look at excellence, like I didn't have to wait till I was, till I bought a home. I didn't have to wait till I was able to get a better car. Um, I didn't have to wait till I had, I could afford better clothing to be excellent. I carried myself with excellence. I, I, I took whatever I had at that moment and I would show up to work with an excellent attitude. I would show up to my workplace with my uniform at American Airlines, excellently pressed. Um, I would, my shoes were shined, uh, even my work shoes on, on the ramp at American Airlines. Um, when I came to work where all of my friends who were valets with me and we had this work shirt, uh, they didn't press theirs, I pressed mine. I, I just came with, with an excellent attitude and I didn't have a lot of money. And so it's not about perfection. Sometimes we think in a church world, that that's another word. Oh, it's just another word for perfection. Well, we'll never attain perfection, but we can always have the excellence of effort in all that we do and do the best you can. So if you, you don't have a nice car well, or an expensive car, well, wash it, polish it, clean the inside, vacuum it, make it look great. I turned my vehicle with all these cassette tapes into what I call the university of success. And I was driving a four-speed Datsun B210 that never got above 60 miles an hour, but it was an excellent car. And it got me into excellent places and with an excellent attitude and spirit because I just allowed that message of excellence that I could never articulate earlier, but I always had that, um, especially in my 20s, that shaped me. And I, I just brought that into what I do today. Well, brother, we, we've been whispering about this, but I'll let you roar it as we, we move toward the Live Inspired 7. There are so many folks right now struggling, and they may not have been exactly where you are, but they're somewhere along that journey. What mm -hmm. encouragement, before we pivot into the, the final seven questions together, would you encourage them to consider as you get ready to say, uh, you know, journey forward boldly, my friends, what, what would you want them to consider? And what's one thing you might want them to do, one action step to take to, to be real excellence in their lives? I think the bold step for everybody who's, no matter where you are in this place in life, to realize this, that there's always, there's always more, um, but there's also going to be more challenges. Um, God just doesn't sprinkle pixie dust on people's lives. Um, he, he picks people out. When I think when God, instead of sprinkling pixie dust, he actually, instead of from the dust, he raises a man, he raises a woman. And for such a time as this, that we're all living in this chaotic world right now, we're not here by accident. We're here on purpose. When we realize that we're here on purpose and we move forward with intentionality in everything that we do, we don't waste our moments. We we savor everything that comes down the road and we face every challenge with faith, knowing that God will get you through it. I think one of the most important things that I could leave people with one action step is quite simple is simply this is keep looking to God. Just keep looking to God, keep looking to him while our world is being distracted by so many different things. Just keep looking to God. God cares about you. God loves you. God created you. God has a plan and a purpose and a destiny for your life. And if you haven't discovered it, ask him. He'll make it plain for you. He'll show you what it is. It may not come overnight, but he didn't, he's raising you up from, for this moment um, to be 
we, we've proven this year that hate does not work. Only love does. Hate doesn't work. Only love does. Thank you for that. And, and uh, what we've had the honor of doing with all of our viewers and our podcast guests who we've had the pleasure of interviewing is talking about what love does. And one of the guys I've brought on is Bob Goff, who talks and writes quite a bit about love does. Yeah. So speaking of Bob Goff, he's an author of several books, and that leads into our first Live Inspired question. Mike, what is the most influential book you've ever read? The Greatest Salesman in the World by Og Mandino. Um, it was at that, that lowest point of my life that I read that book that opened up my mind to God. Um, it opened up my mind to the concept that he has a plan for me, that he loves me, because it took a character just like me in the book to give me hope. And so that book, I even wrote to Og Mandino once and I told him my story and he actually wrote back and it's a typewritten letter with a, with a beautiful wax stamp on it. And he said, Mike, stop feeling sorry for yourself. Move ahead and move forward. And at first I was like, whoa, I was expecting there, there, son. No, it was like, stop feeling sorry for yourself and move on. Uh, that was the most influential book of my life at that time. Awesome. Still relevant today. What is, what is one positive characteristic or one trait that you possessed as a little kid growing up that you wish you exhibited as brilliantly today? Curiosity. I was curious. Um, I would always take my Christmas toys and break them on Christmas day by mistake because I pulled them apart. I wanted to see how that SST worked. I wanted to see how that Mattel uh, strong, strong man worked. And I accidentally would break my toys every Christmas because I was curious on how things worked. Stay curious. It's a, it's a great characteristic. If your home caught fire and your children, your wife, your pets, your grandchildren, your friends, everybody's out safe but you have an opportunity to run in and grab one item. Mike, what, what one item do you come racing back outside with? I'd grab as many, you said one, I'd grab as many photo albums as I could grab because I have not transferred them to a, to a hard drive. I'd grab all those photos. If you could sit on a gorgeous Hawaii beach and have a long conversation with anyone living or dead, who do you want to be laying next to? Gosh, that's a tough question. Oh, there's so many. I would say that I'd like to sit down next to Coach John Wooden. And, and one more, one more, one more. The Reverend Titus Cohen, who pastored in Hawaii in the 1840s to the 1870s. And I'd like to ask him, how did it happen? How did the revival happen in Hawaii? Tell me about it personally. Hmm. Yeah. What do you think his, because that's a really interesting one. There was a revival and it was profound. What do you think his response to that is? I think he would say, Mike, I learned the language of the people and I got amongst the people in my first month and I walked around the whole island. I didn't have a horse and I walked from village to village to village to read the Bible and to tell them how much God loved them and created them because they did not know because they thought that they came from somewhere else and they were worshiping other gods. And uh, I wanted to introduce them to the one true God. What's the best advice that you've ever received personally? The best advice that I ever received was when my pastor told me, Mike, don't buy the brand new car. All your friends are buying that brand new Honda Odyssey van that just came out. I know you want it. He goes, pay cash for everything. Save your money for the house. Let your friends buy the car. You'll have the house first. He was right. 
we're, we're speaking to landowner today, Mike Kai. He has some <laughs> Hawaii. He does not own a, an Odyssey, but I think he made the right investment. Dave Ramsey, one of my friends, would be proud of your pastor. Yeah. What What would you tell your twenty year old self? <clears throat> I tell my twenty year old self, don't be so emotional. Don't let, don't be run by your feelings. Um, because your feelings will get you in trouble. It's kind of the advice that the, uh, the short Japanese man gave you as well to get back into the car, boy. Maikai, pastor, author, husband, father, grandfather, friend, macadamia nut enthusiast. It has been said <laughs> that all great people can have their lives summed up in one sentence. How would you like your one sentence to read? Whoever he was with, wherever he was, he loved people to the fullest. That'd be the thing that I would like to strive for. I'd love people to say that about me. My guy, that just doesn't happen. It happens by choice. It happens with excellence. It happens with faith. It happens with God's hand and his blessing. And I appreciate the fact that you've been making this just happen for the last several decades, man. It's an inspirational story and one that we can all learn something from. Thank you, John. It's a privilege to be on this podcast and a privilege to call you friend as well. Thank you. My friends, that is Mike Kai. My name is John O'Leary. And remember, today is your day. Live inspired. Well, my friends, I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I and our team enjoyed bringing it to you. And if you did, and I would imagine you did, you are going to absolutely want to mark your calendar for next Thursday, September 30th at noon central to join John O'Leary as he brings on his newest friend. You ready for it? Max Licato. That's right. New York Times bestselling author Max Licato joins a Live Inspired podcast live September 30th, Thursday, noon central. For an inspirational podcast, it's going to be streaming live on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. You won't want to miss it. For those who have not yet bumped into the work of Max Licato, apparently you are in the minority because he sold more than 120 million copies in 54 languages, sold those books, of course, worldwide. He published his very first book, you may remember, way back in 1985 called On the Anvil. His 43rd book comes out. It's called You Were Made for This Moment, and it will be released September 28, 2021. Just strongly encourage you to join us for a wonderful life inspirational conversation with my friend Max Licato. He's soon to be yours as well. To learn more about this conversation, join me right now at johnolearyinspires.com forward slash podcast for how you can join us for the live stream next week. One more time. It's at johnolearyinspires.com forward slash podcast. So for this time and until next time, my name is John O'Leary and today is your day. You were made for this moment. Live Inspired. I want you to think about how much life has changed in the last 10 years. Professionally, technologically, politically, globally, in your relationships. Think about how much change you have experienced. How different life is. Well, for the last 10 consecutive years, Keeley Companies has been named a top workplace by St. Louis Post-Dispatch. Their most important assets are their people, also known as the Keelians, and are credited as the backbone of their business. You can learn more about the Keeley Company's dedication to their employees by visiting keeleycompanies.com. 
www.thepowerofpositivity.com.